Well, uh, at my home uh, lately, my, uh, it's, it's been kind of fun because when, my, when Bennett was born, uh, my wife was uh, the center of the universe for Bennett. And uh, anytime mom was in the room, boy, my son would just light up all throughout his young days as a baby and on into uh, even, even as a toddler today. When mom walks in the room, he lights up. But uh, guess what? I got a daughter now. And, uh, well, let me just say, when I walk into the room now, guess who lights up? My daughter Mallory lights up. I mean, she is so excited for daddy. And I'm just like, oh, finally. You know, because Bennett, man, he didn't care about me, you know. But, but Mallory, she hears daddy's voice and she gets so excited. And I get down and I play with her. And, and, and we're just having so much fun playing together as just father and daughter. But lately I've been, uh, I've been picking her up on my shoulders, and something happens when I pick Mallory up and put her on my shoulders and hold her by the hands. She, her, her, her level of excitement just rises up. It goes to a whole new level. And we, we look in the mirror together and, and I, I shake her hands and she just has this unbelievable joy when she is risen up on daddy's shoulders. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is going to talk this morning about being risen up. The Apostle Paul is going to say, I want you to rise up. I want you to be lifted up on the shoulders of the Lord, if you will. I want you to experience joy in abundance. I want you to be in celebratory mode at all times because the Son of God, the Spirit of God, lives in you. The title of my message this morning is Raised Up Living. Raised Up Living. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Chapter 6 in Romans. And let's stand together as I read verses 1 through 11 in our text this morning. Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Paul writes this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be certainly we also should excuse me, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died to uh, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also 
Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. Anybody hear Mallory in the back? Yeah, that was my daughter. Verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You know, we all know uh, people who profess to be Christians, and, uh, but they have a lifestyle that uh, looks nothing like the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, perhaps we know uh, some who think, uh, well, now that I'm eternally saved, I, by, my, by my faith in Jesus, I can live however I want and still go to heaven. Paul poses a question to these kinds of people in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. But his question might surprise you. You see, when we come across people who profess to be Christians but live like the devil, our natural human tendency is to call into question their salvation. Our tendency is to focus on their sins and and on the negative conduct that they're exhibiting and to wonder, well, I don't know if they're really a Christian. Paul doesn't do that here in Romans 6. Instead, he does just the opposite. Rather than chastising them for their sin, Paul's question causes these people to lift up their eyes beyond their vain attempt to be satisfied by their sin. Paul says, Look up. Look to the one whom you've identified with by faith. Look at Jesus. Remember why he died. And remember that by your faith in him, you have become a partaker. A partaker in Jesus Christ's victory over sin and death. Paul asks the question, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? In other words, why in the world, why in the world, after having become a co-heir with Jesus Christ in triumphant victory over the power of evil and sin and death, why in the world would you ever consider realigning yourself with the already defeated power of Satan? Why would you consider that? You're already on the winning team. Paul's lifting up their eyes. I was on on a great team in in high school. And it was a club team. I was a freshman. And it was a bunch of like 13-year-old kids. I got a a little little picture here I wanted to show. Uh, Yeah, I know. You can't see it very well. Can you point me out? Can you see my my fro? I got kind of a, a little... No? All right. There it is right there. Right. <laughs> That's me. You can't see it very well. But man, when we, when we were 13 years old, we had this soccer club team. It was called the Anadel Firestorm. And our team was, was, was so good. Now, I'm living the glory days, right? Back in the day. We were so good. We, were so, we had a, just a talented group of, of, of young kids. And I remember back in, in 1993 playing club soccer for the Anadel Firestorm. It was the best team I ever played on. Best team ever. And we knew we had a great team. In fact, every game we played, we believed we were going to win. And, and sure enough, 
We beat another club team from San Francisco at the end of the season to win the Northern California State Championship. I'm so proud. A bunch of little kids winning a Northern California State Championship. But why do I bring up this story? I bring up this story to say this. We knew we had a winning team. We knew we were on the right side. We walked into every single game believing we were going to win. And in fact, in the end, we ended up winning the championship. When you're on the best team, and those of you who have believed in Jesus Christ, guess what? You're on the winning team. When you're on the best team, no matter what opponent you face, no matter what trial you go through, no matter what difficulty is before you, you've already won the victory. We have waiting for us an eternal home in the kingdom of God that will never end. And Paul's asking the question, why in the world, knowing that you're already on the winning team, would you ever realign yourself with the losing side? You know, on that day when we won the state championship, we beat this team from San Francisco 2-1. to one. And I remember, we were so exuberant, we were so joyful, and I remember looking across the field, and, and these guys, you know, my, my own age, they were broken and beaten. They had been defeated. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, man, I do not want to be on that side of the field. I'm glad to be where I am. I'm on the winning side. I don't want to be on the losing side. Let me tell you something. Sin and evil and Satan and his power, they're on the losing side. The team was from San Francisco. Kind of weird. Sin and Satan and evil on the losing side. Jesus' death and resurrection has already secured the victory. And so why would you ever wish to return to the team that has no chance of success. By the way, I'm a, I'm a big fan of San Francisco, so sorry if I offended anybody. I'm a huge San Francisco 49er fan, as a matter of fact. Any Niner fans out there? Man. Man. The glory days. Joe Montana, you know, Steve Young. Who do they got now? Who do they got? Exactly. Nobody knows. All right. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Notice Paul's words in verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It would be foolish to go to the losing side. Sin is, in fact, dead to the Christian. Now, Paul doesn't mean that it has no power. Sin is very much alive. And even the team that does not win puts up a great fight. But Paul's point here is that sin cannot win. It's already lost. And because of that, sin's power is dead to those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 3 and 4. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with Christ through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The talk of baptism here might sound odd, but it really isn't. Paul isn't talking about water baptism here. He's talking about spiritual baptism. He's talking about becoming spiritually immersed 
and identified with the person of Christ. And that happens when you believe in Jesus as your Savior. He's talking about being identified with Christ. And he says, don't you know that as many of us as were baptized as as identified with Christ, we have identified with him in his death. In other words, don't you realize that by your faith in Jesus, you've become a partaker of the victory Jesus won by his death and resurrection. Just as Jesus has destroyed sin's power by his death, so also you who have believed in him have also died to sin. And he goes on to say, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Not only have we identified with Jesus by by faith, by dying to sin, but we also identify with Jesus' resurrection by living a raised up life. The last part of, of verse 4 is, is kind of particular. It's kind of peculiar, isn't it? At the last part of verse 4, he says, uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should, and we might expect, we might expect Paul to say, even so we also should be raised from the dead. That would, that would be the normal thing for Paul to say right there. That would be something that we would, might naturally expect him to say right there. That just as Jesus rose from the dead, so also you will rise from the dead. But Paul doesn't say that here. Of course, it's true that just as Jesus rose from the dead, you also will rise from the dead. But that's not his point here. That's not his purpose here. Paul's point is this. He says, look, just as Jesus rose from the dead, even so, he wants you to walk a raised up life. He wants you to walk in newness of life. And Paul's not talking about on the other side of this life. He's talking about right now, right here, this minute. The newness of life is to happen right now. We were at an Easter egg hunt the other day. Um, our neighborhood uh, had a little Easter egg hunt with all the little kids. And uh, we met uh, some new neighbors, uh, a couple, couple homes down. They had just had a, a new baby, and there was this beautiful three-week-old baby. And, and we were looking at, at this beautiful girl, and, and she was so fresh and, and so new. And just, you look at her, and you, you, you just automatically think, so much potential. So much life is ahead of her. So, so new. Paul says that newness that freshness, that potential we see in even a newborn baby, the feeling of refreshment and joy that comes from seeing a new little life. We who are Christians, we can experience that same refreshment and that same joy when we focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, Paul, Paul writes, For if we have been united together in the likeness of Jesus' death, certainly, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Is he talking about final resurrection here? No. He's talking about resurrection life right now. Notice what he says in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Our old man was crucified. The old team we used to play for, the side of sin and death, that old man over there, he was crucified. We believed in Jesus. And why did we believe in Him? Because we knew that in Him and in Him alone, we could have eternal victory. But now, so much more than just eternal victory, Paul's reminding us in Romans 6, we can live victoriously right now. Our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now here again, Paul says something very peculiar. He says something that's kind of out of, out of the, the norm, out of what's expected of him. Look at the end of verse 6. We might expect Paul to say something like this. Our old man was crucified with Christ so that we could be reunited with Christ at his resurrection. We've done away with the old man so that we can be reunited with Christ in the life hereafter. But that's not what Paul says. Of course, that's true. But in Romans 6, that's not his point. His point, again, is, look, the death and resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't just have eternal implications. It doesn't just have implications on the other side of this life. It has implications for right here, right now. It has implications for how you and I live and breathe and move and have our being right now. Notice, notice what he says on your outline here. Paul says, look, our old man was crucified. It was, he, he was crucified. Why? So that this. Take a look. Our, we've died with Christ. We've identified with Christ so that, number one, the body of sin might be done away with. He's not talking about then. He's talking about now. He's not just talking about on the other side of this life. He's saying that right now, your body of sin could be set aside. Number two, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. It's not just on that side of, the, of, of, of this life. It's right now. That we should no longer be in bondage to sin, enslaved to sin, every day waking up and falling into the same habitual evil. And thirdly, that we could be freed from sin. Not just then, but now. That's Paul's point. You might be thinking, well, that, that doesn't describe me. That... Uh, I don't feel that the body of sin has been done away with. I don't feel that I, I, I'm still a slave to sin in many, many ways. I don't feel freed from sin. Paul's advice, if, if you can resonate with those words, Paul's advice to you if you are struggling in sin, if you're struggling in holiness, if you're struggling in righteousness right now, Paul's advice to you is simple. Keep looking at Jesus 
Christ. Keep looking at the resurrection. Keep looking at the empty tomb. Recognize you are on the winning team. You have won already. And when you know you've won, and you know where you're headed, it makes this life that much more enjoyable, and that much more, by the Spirit of God, by His help in us, that much more of an opportunity to live joyfully, to live a fresh and new life, free from sin, free from death, free from evil, regardless of what comes our way. When you know you've won, and you know who secured that victory, and your eyes are on Him, your righteousness and your holiness will naturally become a part of your life because the Spirit of God is already in you, making you more like the person of Christ. Keep looking at Jesus. Wake up in the morning and open the Word. As a, as a family, that's something my, my wife's been really good at lately. Just We wake up, and we really try. It doesn't happen every morning, but we try every morning. Try to have breakfast together. And, and we try to read a little passage from the Word to, to Bennett and Mallory when she can understand it one day. Trying to start that morning right. Eyes on the Lord from day one. From, from hour one. And all of a sudden, the rest of the day starts falling into place. And even in the stru- trials, even in the hardships, even in the struggles, there's joy and there's refreshment. What can you do to put Jesus Christ at the center of your home. An open Bible on the dining table, perhaps. Family prayer in the morning or at night. Whatever it takes, keep Him in the home. Keep Him everywhere in your home. Paul knew that the Christian life, the real Christian life, is not merely about future resurrection, but about raised up living right now. You know, I, uh, I love to travel. How many of you love to travel out there? Big travelers out there? Okay, a few of you. Not too many, a few. Uh, no, nobody can travel right now. Nobody has money to travel, right? That's right, we're all going camping this year, right? Exactly. I, lo- I like to camp too. But I lo- I, if I can, I like to get out, and I love to travel. I love to see new cultures. I like to compare New cultures to American culture. It's always, it's always kind of fascinating to me. And one of the things I've noticed in, in, in my travels uh, is that the, the American work ethic is so much different than, uh, than the work ethic in other countries. The, an American person is extremely driven, extremely success-oriented, and, and, and at all times, an American is always working extremely hard. And, of course, that is a quality that, that we all uh, applaud and we, we think is a good quality, and it is a good quality. However, there's also a negative side to the insatious American work ethic. You see, the reasons most Americans work hard is because they don't want to work hard when they turn 65, right? Uh, Retirement lane here, right, Joyce? Uh, There we go. we got the retirement lane up here. The reason Americans work hard is because they don't want to work hard when they want to retire. 
kind of makes sense, right? Americans are always focused on the future, though. Notice that. Americans, we are always focused on what's ahead. Always seeking to ensure that our future life will be enjoyable. Might not be enjoyable right now, but I'm going to work hard so that later on, 10 years from now, maybe 5 years, 20 years at most, then, then I will have a happy and enjoyable life. Right? The American perspective, a perspective of always looking ahead, you know, it's really not shared at all by the rest of the world. Um, the vast majority of the globe uh, don't operate like Americans do in that sense, in that future, always thinking future. In fact, uh, you know, in America, if uh, when you're out to dinner, you know, when you're out having a dining experience in America, you know, when you're done with the meal, if the server doesn't bring that check within five minutes, what, what happens? You're like, hey, come on. It's been five minutes since I ate. I mean, what's going on here? I got people to see. I got places to go. I got appointments to make. It's been five minutes. Let's go. That's an American dining experience. Well, Casey and I, we had this dining experience in Italy. I, I, a little picture. You can't see it very well. This is a beautiful restaurant. And it was right off the Spanish steps in, in Rome. And, and, and it was gorgeous. It was, it was the best, best dining experience we've ever had in, in, in our travels. And, uh, and we, we walked into this dining experience. I, I think I've maybe mentioned this before, but we walked in with a mission. We, we made a vow. We made a covenant. And we said, no matter what happens at this Italian restaurant in Rome, no matter what happens, we will not, we will not ask for the check. We won't ask for it. We will wait until the server brings it. So that was our vow. We, we go to the restaurant. We sit down. And the server takes our order and he, he brings out course one. And then he brings out course two. And then he brings out course three. Leela, can you, can you resonate with this? Leela, the, the, Itali- the resident Italian in our audience. Course four. How many courses, Leela, do they bring? Seven or eight? Okay, twelve. Okay. They just kept bringing food and food and food. And I was like, man, I ordered the cheapest thing on the menu here. You know, what's... You know me. I'm cheap. So... I'm ordering the cheapest thing on the menu, and they're bringing me 12 courses. And then they bring dessert, and then they bring cafe con leche. And Casey and I are sitting there one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. We are sitting at this restaurant. We've been done for two of those hours. And we're just sitting there looking at each other and thinking about the vow, the covenant that we have made, that we will experience this culture, that we will not look ahead, that we will wait for the check. And we totally caved. It was pathetic. I mean, we just caved. We looked at each other. We said, check, please. And uh, everybody in the audience was like, everybody around us was like, oh, look at those rude Americans. You know, it was was so funny. Why do I bring this up? Why do I bring up an Italian dining experience in, in this message here? In Italy, in Rome... What is happening right now matters. What is happening right now really matters, particularly to Italians. And in the Italian culture, every moment is savored. Every meal is enjoyed to the fullest. No one is checking their watch. No one is on their cell phone. No one is texting. No one has another appointment to get to. 
And no one is thinking, I can't wait to be done with this so that I can go do something else that I can't wait to be done with. Look, look at Romans 6. Look back at our passage again. Do Paul's words in Romans 6, do they speak more to an American perspective or to an Italian perspective? And here's a hint. Paul's writing a letter to the Rome ends. Paul's entire point in Romans 6 is to say, look, make your life count now. Rise up now. Stop putting off. Stop putting off. Becoming the person you will be forever in the kingdom of God. Start living the Spirit-filled life now. Seek holiness. Seek righteousness. Wake up every morning and turn your eyes to the Lord and His Word. Make your life count now. And Paul's not asking here for a New Year's resolution. At New Year's, we usually resolve to do something that we haven't done before in the past. But Paul's point in Romans 6 is this. He says, look, you've already died to sin. You've already identified with Jesus by faith. You've already won. You're already on the winning team. Now act like it. Act like it. Paul concludes verses 8 to 11. He says, If we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, He dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that Christ died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. To the Christians here today, if you have died with Christ, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and identified with Him in His death in doing so, then live with Him. Live with Him. Raise up your eyes. See Jesus for who He really is. And what He has done for you. As sin and death no longer has power over Him, let it no longer have power over you. You're already on the winning team. As Jesus' sacrificial life has become a pleasing aroma to the Lord, let your life, let this life, let today count before Almighty God. As sin no longer has power over your eternal destiny. Let it not control your present experience. Having become a partaker of the victory in Jesus, what a shame it would be for you to nevertheless regress in your spirituality and turn back to the defeated powers of sin and death. You're already on the winning team, Christian. Now act like it. And to the unbeliever here today, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the one in whom you will find true satisfaction in this life. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, He's the truth, and He is the life. He is the only way to eternal life with God. But even more than that, 
He's the only way to truly experience happiness and fulfillment in this life too. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know, Easter Sunday is uh, it's a, it's about the resurrection. It's about Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And this day reminds us that we who have believed in Jesus will one day rise from the dead and be united with Almighty God forever. But the resurrection is more than that. It doesn't just have future implications. It has present implications for raised up living right here and right now. My challenge to you this Easter morning is very simple. Stop looking ahead. Stop putting off becoming like Jesus. Don't let money, don't let power, don't let pleasure detract you from living the truly successful life. And the truly satisfying life. A life that is centered on Christ. The quality of you, the the quality of our spiritual life, the quality of our spirituality affects everything about you. Make your spiritual life priority one. And it will flow out into every aspect of your life. You will exude the love of Jesus Christ. And you will be a better person for it. Rise up. Lay hold of eternal life. You're already on the winning team. Let's act like it. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to know what it's like to be raised up even now. God, You've put Your Spirit in us, we who have believed. We know we have the power To be free from sin. We know we have the power as we rely on You to cast aside the old man and the old way of conducting our life. And now God, I ask that You give us the focus and the motivation to raise up our lives even now. Lord, that we would be a people who's not just waiting around for heaven. That we would not just have an American work ethic that works so hard now so that we can be lazy later on in our latter years. No, Lord, let us make right now count. Let us make every moment count. Let us savor this minute of our lives. Let us center our lives on Jesus Christ. Let us raise up with Christ in resurrection life here and now. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.